Hey guys, good to see you. Um, welcome to the table. My name's Alec. Um, guys, I just want to say um, that uh, Albuquerque, there's two spots left, and I hear there's going to be a lot of girls, if, if you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. Now, we, we do all this stuff for the Lord and the Lord only, but there's going to be Lord and. Get it. So, sign up for it. Guys, I am excited to get to walk through um, the second half of the Ten Commandments, what has been called the Tablet of Loving Thy Neighbor, Um, and we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, But before I do, um, I I have a niece. Her name's Austin. I talk about her a lot because she is, she's kind of a character. I love her very deeply. I think she's four years old. And I love my niece. We play horsey ride. We play hide-and-seek. She's really bad at hide-and-seek, okay? Um, I'll walk into a room, and I'll be like, she'll be hiding, and I know where she is. I know where she is. And I'll be like, Austin, where are you? And she'll be like, I'm right here, you know? I'm like, I got you again, two-year-old. Um, <laughs> Got to have my brother teach her a little bit more on hide-and-seek. Um, we play hide-and-seek. We, uh, we watch Bluey together. Um, I just want to, this is my blessing to you. If you have not seen Bluey, Go watch that show. Um, I want to be Bandit really bad. You'll find out later. Um, I love my niece. One time when we were hanging out together, um, we were sitting at the dining room table, and there was an, an open flame on the table, and there were some matches. And Austin stands up, and she grabs a match, and she starts getting that match rather close to the open flame. Now... I'm not a parent, but I know the rules. Don't play with matches. This is kind of a layup for me, okay, on, on, on what to do and what to say. And so I'm like, Austin, look, hey, no, we don't play with matches. Like a good uncle, like a good uncle Aki. Okay, that's what they call me, they call me Aki. Um, and then I say this, look at her, and immediately, tears. She just starts weeping. She runs inside, opens the door, finds her dad. Her dad's like, what, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I hear through the door, I say, Aki won't let me play with matches. (laughs) You're darn right, Aki won't let you play with matches. Come around me, if you guys have matches in your hand, boom, you're not going to play with them. Not around me. Now, I want to look at this moment, you know, like... Austin's like, he's harsh, he, he's restricting my fun, I just really wanted to play with, with matches, but uh, um, are matches wrong? No. Are, do I myself use matches from time to time? Yeah, I do. They're kind of annoying uh, when you can't get it, but uh, I use matches. Will Austin ever be mature enough to use matches on her own? Yes. Yes, she will. So why that harsh, restrictive rule? The rules are given to Austin, what she can't understand, but what you guys clearly can, out of my love for Austin, because I love Austin, I want what's best for her. And the rules are given for her freedom, that she can live and that she can enjoy being a toddler without danger. They may seem harsh at the time. But one day, she will understand that they're from a good and loving lawgiver, in this case, her uncle. I tell you this this story because I believe most of us in the room are Austin when it comes to God. We have these Ten Commandments, 
these Ten Commandments, these laws, and we see them as harsh and restrictive, like, oh, everyone else gets to go have fun, but I have to follow God. Like, oh, just, oh, everyone, there's so much that I don't get to do. And we don't see why they're given, and we don't see who is the one giving them to us. Tonight we're going to be in the Ten Commandments, and because of this, and because I know who we are as a culture, um, I actually want to give you three things to keep in mind when we come to the Ten Commandments. Normally I don't do this. Normally I don't do uh, pre-teaching teaching, but because I understand our culture and how it is so necessary for us to understand and love them, I just want to take our time as we approach the text tonight. So as we approach the text, I want you to know this, that the laws are commands. They are commands. The divine thou shalt. They're not suggestions. Like somehow you get a pass on this, like some of us treat speed limits. They're not do this if it feels right to you. Do this if it brings you joy or happiness, the law is the law regardless of how we feel about it. They carry the weight of authority. They are divine. They are from God. Moses isn't the lawgiver here. It is the Lord God Almighty, the creator of humanity. They're absolute, right and wrong, yes and no, life and death. And they are eternal. God's commands for us forever. And we cannot be further from this idea in a society. So in our society, we live in a time called postmodern relativism. Postmodern relativism, fancy word. All it means is this. We don't really believe in right or wrong anymore. You know? We don't really believe that truth is truth, your truth is your truth, mine is mine, I'll let you do me, let's just both love each other. We don't really believe there's something above us in this. And there's a story of two guys, uh, I believe they're authors, I don't, it's kind of a weird mixture of, of guys. Uh, one is the executive of Airbnb, his name is Lex Bayer, and the other is a chaplain from Stanford. And they created the modern Ten Commandments. Knowing our culture, knowing the relativism that we're in, um, they made the ten, get this, non-commandment commandments. It's kind of interesting. And these commandments, they've got some good stuff in there. They say, uh, don't hurt anyone. They say, don't tell others what to do. Number seven, treat others like you want to be treated, based off Jesus' commandments. So I'm a fan of that one. Um, number nine is rather interesting. Um, it says, there is no one way to live. That is the 10 non-commandments commandments. There is no right way to live. And yet somehow, they are there telling us, this is how you should live. They're like, hey, you do you, you, do you, you be free, but uh, um, if you're not free like, like what I want, then okay, don't be less free. Be, be this kind of free. Be my free. It is paradoxical. And it is hypocrisy. Our culture lives in a culture where we have all kinds of morals, but we have no grounds for saying them. If you, the best that we can say is if you don't agree with what I agree, you offend me. I can't call you right or wrong. That is so far from tonight. 
Tonight is from God. He says right and wrong. This is absolute truth for humanity. The commands are laws. Second point, the divine, transcendent, absolute commands are for your freedom. For your freedom. Remember this. The Redeemer in Exodus, the one who went through all that business that plagues with the frogs and the gnats, and, and he led them out, and he parted the sea, and he crushed their enemies. He redeemed them from slavery. The Redeemer is the lawgiver. He frees them, then he gives them the command. It's not like he changed. It's not like he's like, I want your freedom. I want you to be people of God. I want you to walk in the way that I've commanded you, and then gotcha. You know, like I'm going to give you these commands. Boom, another kind of slavery. No. The Ten Commands are given to free people as they are serving the Lord in what humanity is supposed to be. The law is your freedom. Just imagine for a moment, as we go through these, I'm going to come back to this later, as we go through the Ten Commands, what would happen in society and what would happen in you if all of us obeyed these commands fully? What would change? No fences necessary, no locks, no guns. We trust each other because we have the law of God written on our heart. These are for our freedom. And finally, our last point as we approach the law is the law is righteousness. The law is what it means for the righteous to live righteously. You can't get around that. Now, I know some of you have read the book of Galatians and the book of Romans, so we have to tiptoe here just a little bit. Just bear with me. It is not your righteousness before God. Remember, you are saved by grace through faith. God does not care what we can do or what we don't do before him. He says, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus, and you are saved. He doesn't care about karma. The law is not your righteousness before him, but after you're saved. That, the law is what it means to live righteousness. It is applied righteousness. Just as physics is applied mathematics, obedience is applied righteousness. It is what the saved people do. One famous author, Jen Wilkin, puts it like this, and I think this is very apt. The law drives us in desperation to grace. It drives us in desperation to grace. We know that we can't follow it throughly, but then afterwards, grace drives us in devotion to the law. It is how we love the Lord our God. I'm going to do something a little different tonight. Um, In light of these being divine commands, in light of us being so far away from them, I'm going to dig deep into uh, my my old Baptist roots, and I'm going to ask you guys to stand for the reading of the word. So would you guys just take a second and stand up? This is Exodus 20. This is the giving of the law, the eternal divine law, and this is what the Lord says. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. 
Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or in the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's iniquity to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commands." Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days, Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long, have long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servant, his ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. All right, take a seat. Thank you guys so much. These are the Ten Commandments, and Rachel did an amazing job last week showing us that the first commandment is how we love our Lord. The first four commandments are vertical. These last six, they're called the second tablet of the law, is horizontal. This is what it means. This is what God outlines for the love of our neighbor. And I just got to confess at the very beginning that I wanted so desperately to do 10 series on this. Uh, guys, a 10-week series. I would have just loved to be here every single week and walk through what does it mean? What does the Bible say not to murder? What does the Bible say when do not commit adultery? Jesus has some other words on that later. What does it mean to not lie, to twist the truth, to be people of the truth? Like, I just want us to reflect on this, that this is what God has for us when he created humanity, his eternal divine laws. I can't do that. And so I just had to pick one commandment to go over, and this is the one I believe is the most significant in the second half of the law. It is commandment number 10. I'll read it for you again. Verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. No coveting. At first glance, this command seems like it's just a a repeat of commandment 8. Do not steal. Do not steal is pretty straightforward, you know. Just keep your hands to yourself. Keep them in your pocket. Don't go around pit-pocketing people, and you will obey the Lord your God. Seems rather straightforward. And then commandment number 10 comes, and it gets a little tricky. It's not just keep your hands to yourself. It's keep your heart to yourself. It's keep your mind to yourself. Don't even let other thoughts happen. Do not even think that I want someone else's life, someone else's anything. He mentions different things, donkey, servants, house. He just goes through it. Anything that is my neighbor's is theirs, and I am to express utter contentment in what God has given me. These are very significant 
for two main reasons. This command. The first is that it is a law for the heart. God did not just stop with commanding, loving your neighbor and loving the Lord, not misusing his name, honoring your father and mother. He did not just stop there. He says, there is even a certain posture in you. That is what righteousness looks like. God has commanded the heart. The inward attitude is legislated. It is a sin against God and a crime against my neighbor if I have any desire to take his. If I express something that is not contentment in my own. You can notice people have other things. But as soon as you start to be like, that's not fair. I want something like that. My life is not good enough. If only I had their family. If only I had their car. If only I had their physique, their grades, their money, their whatever. You are committing a crime against the Lord. I mentioned at the very beginning that these commands are meant for your freedom. Just imagine for one second, okay, that we fully obeyed these laws. That everything in you had no ill will, had no resentment towards me. Just imagine what kind of trust that could be there. It's not just I don't have to lock my door anymore. It's I can freely open my life to one another. There is nothing in you and there is nothing in me that would ever desire your harm. The inward attitude is legislated. It is spiritualized. That's the first reason why I believe it is so significant. The second reason that I believe the second commandment is so significant is because it is effectually a summary of every other law. If you were to summarize the laws, I think you have a strong case for two laws to be the main point. The first one is commandment one, which says, you have no other gods before the Lord. The Lord is the ultimate. Whatever the pedestal on your heart is, that is God. Anything else that you treat as the ultimate in your life is idolatry. Strong case for that one. But the second command that I believe is so strong to summarize it is this one because the Bible actually calls this act, the act of coveting some, what someone else has, that if I just had this one thing, the Bible calls that idolatry. And when we say, my life is better with blank, if, if I just had blank, whatever you put in that blank is functionally your God. Whatever you think would just give you that satisfaction and that happiness and that peace, oh, my life could just go better with more. That is functionally your God's. I know many of you guys might think, uh, this is America. This is 2024. Um, we don't have idols anymore. We don't have... Uh, um, that's, that's, that's pagan stuff. That's, that's superstition. That's what they did in the past. We're evolved beyond that. We've become more advanced in our society. But we have no problem whatsoever sacrificing 
our entire life on the altar of success. No, no hesitation. We have no problem giving up our families if we can just climb the corporate ladder. We don't even hesitate because if it can just, if it can just give me success, if it can just give me meaning and value, I'll give whatever I want, whatever I have. We do not even pause to worship at the idol of pleasure, whether it's sexual sins, whether it's alcohol, or whether it's something just as simple as Netflix. I just need this thing to feel alive. I will give you whatever. I'll give you all my time. I will give you my heart. I will change who I am around my people. We have no problem sacrificing to these American gods. Whatever you covet, whatever you fill in that blank, that is your God functionally. That's why Paul in Colossians 3, he just says coveting is idolatry. It is the basis for all sins. It shows you what your ultimate reality is and what you believe the good life can be attained. Coveting is a spiritualization of the law and a summarization of every other command that has been given. It is a parallel to the commandment to have no idols. It is true of the Old Testament. It is true of the Apostle Paul. And Jesus also says something very similar as well. When we take a break and come back, I want to just focus on that. Jesus' approach to the law and what that means for us as Christians. So let's take a moment, and then we'll come back together. So the first half, we talked about the Ten Commands, what they are, and a summary of the law. On the second half, we move towards the New Testament, and I want to focus on Jesus and his approach to the law. See, Jesus does three things when it comes to the law. He summarizes it for us, he internalizes it, and he fulfills the law. And I want to walk through each one of those things and summarize, internalize, and fulfills it on our behalf. Imagine that you are six years old again, and it is Christmas time. You have waited all year. You have been kind of good, especially as the last month or two comes up. You, you're really trying to get on the nice list. Um, you sent uh, your letter in to Santa Claus, because we believed in Santa Claus. We don't believe in Santa Claus anymore, just in case. Um, we sent that to Santa Claus. Sorry to be that in the sermon. Um, you sent that there. You have, you have your list, and, and the day comes. You can hardly go to sleep. You're so excited, and you wake up, and all the presents are there under the tree. Oh, man. You got the toy truck that you're going to use for maybe a couple months, and then you're going to leave it behind. You got, I don't know, Pokemon Ruby Red on Game Boy Advance that you're going to memorize every single part of that and, and not remember much of your childhood, but you remember all that stuff. I don't know. We're just speaking vaguely here. <laughs> You've got the clothes that you don't really want, but your mom wants for you, and you're a, you're a wise child, and so you're like, oh, thank you, Mom. I love it so much. You've got everything under the tree. And you have that moment that all of us had as kids 
when you turn to your parents and you say, what can I give to you? What, what, can, I, what, can, I, what can I give to you? As if, as if we had money or anything. You turn to another one, mom, dad, what can I give to you? And you're not worried about mom, because mom, she's a sucker. She's, she's easy. She doesn't have sappy stuff. All you got to do is draw her a, a picture of a poorly drawn Dalmatian and, and call it whatever, and boom, she's happy. She's probably going to say something along the lines of, sweetie, all I want is you. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Easy. Easy. But your dad, he's a little bit harder. You know, you're not, you're not really sure. It's kind of hard to get a read on him. You know, he's kind of he's stoic. Maybe he's a little quiet. Less into gifts. So you think, he works with his hands. Maybe I could get my dad a toolbox. I don't know what dads do. Maybe he's into car shows. Maybe he can get the uh, newest Ford F-150 Super Cab Coyote V8 engine, but not the EcoBoost. Once again, we're speaking generically right now. Like, you're just a six-year-old <laughs> child. Like, what could I give my dad? But what if your dad, out of all the possibilities that you could say to give back to him, what if he looked at you and simply said this, I want you to love your family? I want you to love your family. I want you to love your family. I want you to love me with all that you are. That'd be pretty significant. And your dad would be a pretty good dad in that moment. Get it right. That's what it's about. You see, this picture is exactly what God has said to you and to me. He has looked at the entirety of the law, the 613 laws. Jesus was asked, which are the most important? What does God want from me in my life? How can I love God back? And he looks at the 613, and he summarizes them, and he gives you two. He says, love God. He says, love me. Love me with all your heart. Love me with your thoughts. Love me with your strength. Love me back. And love your family. Love your neighbor as if it were yourself. You know, just thinking on this, it almost, it almost breaks your heart that if God is real, and I believe that God is real, and he gave a command, he felt it necessary to tell his people this is your command, love me back. Because he knew we'd get it so wrong so often. Love is supposed to be natural, yet oftentimes it needs to be commanded. And God gives us this command to show us what it means to live. He says to love God, Deuteronomy 6, all you are. And he says to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19. And the fascinating point on a sermon on the Ten Commandments is that when Jesus looks at the, ten, at the whole law, the 613 laws of the Old Testament, he doesn't even quote them. The Ten Commandments seem pretty significant. In Exodus 19, if it is a marriage ceremony and God gives this right after saving them, and they play such a huge part in the rest of his law that God, Jesus says, this is it, and doesn't even mention them. Quotes Deuteronomy 6 and Leviticus 19. I find that 
rather strange. But as you reflect on Jesus' move, I find it so brilliant. Can you see the brilliance of the move? Can you see the logic behind the law? Let's say someone comes up to me afterwards and they, they want to talk about different laws. They want to talk about what it meant for slaves back then. They want to know, talk about social justice and they want to talk about women. And, and by all means, I invite those conversations. At some point in time, in talking through all that background stuff and applying it to us, because it is a little different to us now, the logic is going to fall on the foundation that you love God back. Why do I keep these laws? Why do I care about righteousness? Why can't I go sleep with whoever I want? Why do I have to spend my time? Why do I got to go to church on Sundays? Like, can you, can you show me that? Can you show me why that's righteousness? At some point in time, we're going to have to fall back on, it is how we love God. If you don't love God, then, then nothing I say is going to matter. But if you do, you're going to want to walk his path. And the only practical way, he says, love God, the horizontal line is to love my neighbor. You love God with all you have, and you love your neighbor as if it was yourself. It's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about you being so likable. It's not about you being so agreeable that we're buddy, buddy. It's I'm loving God through you. How is it that I can love my enemy? The person that just keeps slandering me to my face, behind my back, when I go to my job, it's just always there. It's I don't love him. I love God through him. That's what makes it so key. It doesn't matter who I am. You're loving the Lord through me. It doesn't matter who you are. It is something beyond us. It is a pure love for the love of God. Jesus summarizes the law. Deuteronomy 6 Leviticus 19, and then Jesus internalizes it for each and every one. There was a man um, a long time ago in Palestine. Um, he was a young Jewish man, and he grew up in the church. Didn't call it the church back then, but let's just go for it. Called it the church. And he went to church every single day. He knew the Bible back and forth. All those portions that you and I don't really care about, um, all those portions that we like skim over like Leviticus, like he had memorized those. He obeyed them fully, 613 commands, and he did them flawlessly. This young man was known throughout the community as being a godly role model. That's who you want to be. You want to be just like him. And this young man... He heard that there was a teacher by the name of Jesus around that was, that was speaking some very bold, some very radical things about God that no one had ever heard before. And so he travels. There's no internet back then. He has to go to different towns and, and hear and find, and, and, and he seeks him out. And he, he finds Jesus, and he asks him one question. He asks him, if I can just say this, it's the question that all of us in our right minds we ask as well. He says, good teacher, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. What must I do? I've done the laws. I've followed them. I've been a good boy. I've been a church, church kid. My, I'm a goody two-shoes. I, I've followed it. What must I do to find life? I want it. Jesus, the author of life, the eternal one who has lived forever and who will live forever. Ideas of infinity that you and I don't even grasp. Jesus knows it personally. And he is able to tell this young man what life is. And he does what? Like, what do you think Jesus' next words are? Do you think he says something like, um, well, young man, there's this thing called penal substitutionary atonement. Don't worry, you'll find it out later. There's a lot of conflict going to happen over that. Um, that's a good idea. You can go look Wikipedia that later. Does he say something along the lines, he starts quoting Latin. Does he say, sola fide, sola gratia, sola deu, or however you say that last God in Latin. I don't, it's been a long time. He's like, you don't really know Latin, young man, at the time, but trust me, it's going to be very, very pivotal. No. He doesn't do that. He points him back to the law. He says, you've heard the commands. You know what life is. You know where life is found. How do you read them? Do you keep them? And this young man, Jesus quotes five of the six commands. He says, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal, bear fault witness, honor your father and mother. And this young man, he looks at Jesus and he says, I have kept these since I was a child. Can I inherit eternal life? And it says in that moment, I love this story. It's Mark 10. He says, Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him, and then he challenged him. He says, go and sell all you have. Come follow me, and then you will have life. You see, Jesus missed one of the commandments. He missed that thing about coveting. He knew that this young man like all of us Americans, had been dominated by coveting for his whole life. Jesus saw the functional idols in his heart, and he spoke right to him. You see, we talk about commandment 10 being a spiritualization of the law, and Jesus, Jesus knew about that. He was a master of the hearts and a master of the law, and he speaks right to it. He cuts right to the issue. But he doesn't just stop there. Jesus takes the logic of commandment 10 and he runs it through all of them. He says, do not murder. Murder was pretty straightforward. It's pretty easy to not murder, you know? Just hands in the pocket. Don't freak out when you're driving on stillwater traffic. You'll be okay. You just breathe. Don't murder. But then Jesus says, to actually live out this law, to actually be righteous, you don't need to get angry in your heart against your brother. Do not commit adultery. Whoa. Easy one. Easy. Hands to yourself, hands in your pocket. And then he says, don't even look lustfully at another person. Don't even objectify them with your mind. How many of, how many of us would just get shot down by either of those commandments? Jesus spiritualizes them 
and shows them exactly what it means. This is righteousness. This is life. You follow this. God will be with you through faith in him. To be honest, I couldn't do one. There's 10 commandments there. There's 613 there. I couldn't fully live out any of those, much less the loving God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. If this is what humanity is supposed to be, if this is what it means to not sin against God, I'm out day one. Have no righteousness from the law. If the law is meant to transform us, it's meant to hit us in the heart and it's follow up from who we are. I can't do it. I doubt anyone ever lived could. And yet Jesus knew that too. And he came to fulfill the law on our behalf. God sent his only son to perfectly obey the law. Whatever it meant to be righteous, whatever it meant your entire life to have no thought that crossed over into anger, to never look at another person with lustful intent, to speak truth because he is truth incarnate, whatever that meant to be that fully, Jesus came to live it for me and for you because we could not live up to the standard. He was tempted by the devil himself. All these spiritual powers that we forgot, Jesus faced them, and he faced them on our behalf so that he could attain righteousness, so that in the words of 2 Corinthians, he who knew no sin could become sin for us so that we, you and I, might be the righteousness of God. Jesus came to die for you so that in all of our failures, we could still be called righteous. Not because you lived a great life, because you know the perfect one who died in your place, and you accept his gospel. I know we're speaking on law, and I know that when we speak about law, there's some people in the room that just feel guilty. They just feel guilty all the time. Like there's, there's no matter how much things I can, I can pray to God, there's no matter how many times I can go to church, I just feel a weight upon me. When, when I was a kid, I, uh, um, if I ever sinned, I remember being, being, being baptized my, when I was probably seven years old, and uh, the next day I sinned. I committed something that the Bible says, that's not what we're supposed to be. <laughs> and I felt like I had to ask Jesus into my heart all over again. You know, I was guilty, and I've got good news for you. Jesus Christ obeyed the law perfectly for you to break the power of sin in your life. When God looks at you, he can't love you anymore because he sees Jesus Christ, the perfect one. I know some of us in the room, we don't really believe the laws. We don't really believe in right and wrong. It's kind of, it's kind of whatever I want to do. It's kind of however I want to live my life and, and brings me joy. It doesn't matter what it does to anyone else. It's all about me. What the Bible calls hard-hearted. What I want to remind you is that Jesus Christ, the one who loved you so much to come and die for you, the perfect lawgiver, obeyed his own laws. He has integrity, and he calls you to do likewise. 
I don't know where you are, but I just ask you to let down your heart a little bit and think, what would this mean for you? What does righteousness look like in your life? And some of you, you're not necessarily guilty. You just feel like you can't shake it. You just feel like you, you try to walk the Christian life for a little bit, and you repent, and you do a great job, and then boom, a month later, you're right back into it. I want to tell you two things. One, do not forget that maturity is repentance and repentance and repentance and repentance and turning back to God and becoming like him and failing and turning back to God again and again and again for the rest of our life. Do not forget that. And do not forget that Jesus has promised that you have his very spirit inside of you to walk this righteous path, to live just as he did, the Bible says the same power that rose Jesus from the grave is now living in you, letting you have life and freedom in his name. So, for the love of God, love each other. And for the love of man, to truly love man, love Jesus with all of your heart. Let me pray. Father God, I just, uh, I'm going to pray for them when I was praying for them earlier, that you would help us love your law, that you showed us exactly what it meant to live your righteous life, that you showed us who your character was, God, by how you care so deeply about how we live and about purity and holiness, God. I, I pray that we are not ashamed of any of these laws. God, I pray that we're not ashamed of holiness, that we're not ashamed of righteousness, that we become the type of people that stand boldly on your word because it is you, God, that give them. You love us so deeply. I pray that you would help us cherish your words as if they were honey to our lips and a light to our path. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.